Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player. Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, welcome to Iconic Albums number 18. This is the show where I'm joined by my friends Gabor Jessica. Hello! And Rob Rhodes. Howdy. And we talk about some of the most iconic records in our collections. And uh, tonight we are... I say tonight because we record tonight. It could be any time when you listen to this, of course. Um, At this generic time of the day, we are checking out... (laughs) And we're checking out the Foo Fighters' third record, There Is Nothing Left To Lose, released in 99. And uh, this is my choice tonight. So I was I was tossing up between this record and the second Foo, Fighter, Foo Fighters album, The Colour and the Shape, um, which had some really great tunes. But I leant towards There Is Nothing Left To Lose, as, as will be revealed as... As we talk, and I should mention Gabor and Rob, we usually record this separately because we, we don't live near each other, but Rob is trapped in Queensland, so Rob and Gabor are having a an iconic album's play date. Yeah, and, mandate. Uh, mandate. Don't say mandate. No, <laughs> oh. oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> and you guys are in the same room. You're in Gabor's studio. I know, it's, it's really bizarre. Cool. It's bizarre. It's, it, it, it looks way more three-dimensional than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I have put on a couple of extra kilos. Have you got you guys have been in person before though, haven't you? No, no never. No, really? Wow. No, we're like fast COVID buddies. Yeah. Oh, like, there you go. From some live streams and some uh musicians inns and whatever else. Yeah, we we've... did a live stream and my kids called him a real rock and roller. Wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> well it's true. That was the last time I played originals too, I think. It was the first time in a couple of years and then the last time in a couple oh, of really? years. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> You are a real rock and roller, Rob. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talking of rock and roll, Foo Fighters. um, Yes. Gabor. Any Foo Fighters? 99. What were you doing in 99? Did you know about the Foo Fighters? Uh, I did, yes. I mean, I was a massive Nirvana fan. So, uh, you know, when when Dave Grohl decided to come up with an album, I kind of went, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have a listen to that. Um, so I, I, I like the Foo Fighters. Um, so 99, hang on. So 99, I would have been, I was 21. Yep. Um, I was in an original band that actually did a riot at the time. So I played a lot of original music. Uh, we did a little bit of touring, maybe not quite as far down south as Sydney, but we did a little bit of touring, played at quite a lot of gigs. Um, I was still at uni as well. Uh, so I was studying at university in 99. Um, yeah, it was a year before I got together with my wife, so it's the, the good old days, as I call it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, 
But yeah, no, I, I, I definitely knew the Foo Fighters. And the, the main thing I always remember, especially of that album, is the the film clips. There's really, really good film clips. Yeah, yeah. That's the main thing. That, or that sort of first thing when I think of Foo Fighters, that, that era. That era, yeah. Is the, the really cool film clips. Yep. They did the, uh, what was the, what was the Mentos? Futos the Mentos one. Off? And then yeah, they, did the, cool. they did the one at the, in the airplane where he looks like Alanis Morissette. Mm-hmm. And the fly. Uh, <laughs> And and the other one with the what was that movie? Me myself and Irene. Yeah, that's of that as Break well. Out. I think Breakout. That's right. Yeah, that's of, okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I remember all the cool clips. Um, that's the sort of main thing I remember of of that album. Yeah, cool. And Rob, well, if you were making friends in the Cold Chisel <laughs> and the Van Halen episode, Here we go. It's my turn to make friends now. I've never liked Nirvana. And I've never liked Foo Fighters. Um, But I will say this. I do like Dave Grohl. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the Sonic Highways thing that they did. Yeah. um, You know, like they spent a week in an iconic city in America and learnt the history of the music scene there and then wrote a song and recorded it on the seventh day with guests and all that sort of stuff. So I really enjoyed that and I still occasionally that record pops up on my shuffle. Um, But, yeah, I I can't. I just, nah. They (laughs) they do not speak to me. Uh, And it is, I don't know, it's cookie cut of rock. It's kind of, you know, they've got, I think, my mate I was talking to about it today, he's like, oh, early they were good, first three records were good, and then they became this homogenised, predictable kind of cookie-cutter rock thing. Uh, and But I don't know, I never I never got into it. I did like a boy, I enjoyed the video clips and stuff. Like that was fun and seeing Tenacious D and Learn yeah. to Fly and, yeah, yeah. you know, those things. And, and I played the songs over the time and I will say that from a vocalist a rock vocalist point of view, they're fun to sing. You yeah, know, yeah. like I've sung over the years, <clears throat> Best of You and All My Life and a couple of those other rockers, Generator, we'll get into that a bit yeah, later. Yeah, but yeah. Um, they're fun songs to sing. They're high energy. But from a listener's point of view, it's really, yeah, Foo Fighters are not my thing. And Here's the thing. This is our 18th iconic album and... I mean, apart from Gabor, most of the time we're we're on board with with the record. <laughs> apart from me, yeah. <laughs> yeah Two thirds of us. Are, I know. N- yeah. Now, occasionally Gabor's got a, a different a different view, but I, I really like it when we come with with different uh, expectations or or experiences and that kind of thing. So. This would be fun. Makes it interesting. Otherwise, if everyone would like exactly the same stuff, it'd I be know, boring. Wouldn't it? I know. And that's the thing. I always try to um, be measured with it and yep. um, try to find things that speak to me or the things that I like and not be completely negative. Yeah, so yeah. long as no one brings like a nickel me. back record in. <laughs> Um, we'll be all right. But, <laughs> oh, I was good at nickel, Nickelback. And like, I knew so. you were a Nickelback guy. No, def- tell. definitely not. Definitely. <laughs> but yeah, as as we progress through this, you know, I do. There are moments that I enjoy, and and I, as I said, I do like Dave, and there are there are positives. I don't. I, I never try to, you know, sandbag anything completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, Rob, I'm going to bring you in as the talk box talk box expert Ooh, yeah. a little later on. When, awesome. we, when we get to Generator. 
Yeah, well, for me, yeah, as I said, this is the third Foo Fighters record. The first one kind of passed me by. I, I really enjoyed Nirvana too, especially the first record. Um, I think you, you, you like the second one more, Gabor. Well, it depends on how you count them, but the last one, In Utero, was my favourite probably. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we've got Bleach, haven't we? Bleach, and then there was Incesticide as well in in between that, which was sort of recorded prior to everything but released later. So, yeah, there were a couple. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another can of worms, but related because, of course, uh, Dave Grohl was was the drummer from Nevermind onwards anyway, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 he wasn't on Bleach, no. Yeah, cool. So when oh, the Foo Fighters, the sorry, the Nirvana drummer is now playing guitar and fronting a band. Um, same thing. I thought, oh, yeah, this is kind of interesting. And there were a few tunes off that first record, but I, I pretty much, yeah, I pretty much missed most of that. But the second record I thought was awesome, The Colour and the Shape, um, had some really big songs like uh, Monkey Ranch and yeah. My Hero and Everlong, which I think is probably the greatest Foo Fighters song ever. Um, I'm still playing it. I do love Everlong, yeah. and I did play it for a private live stream uh, last week because my clients were hounding me for a Foo Fighters song, and go. I do love, I do like that song. It's a good song. It is a great song. Um, but yeah, the next record was the one. Um, yeah, I actually owned this album, and I think I've mentioned before. Maybe when we were talking about the Chili Peppers, I saw, I went to the big day out in the year 2000, and that was massive. Foo Fighters were there, Chili Peppers were there. Um, Nine Inch Nails, Blink, One Eight Two, um, plus. Was know, that the year when Rammstein was there as well? That... No, I would have noticed the fire. Um, <laughs> well, it's I funny should, that we should do a Rammstein album. I love Rammstein. I'm a fan. Anyway, I I, I wouldn't know a Rammstein song if I fell over it, but I, I I'm willing to to uh, <laughs> to, to jump. Anyway. Move on, move on. <laughs> move on. Anyway, yeah, 99, the album comes out, 2000. Most of 99, I was worried about my whether my toaster was going to be 2K compliance and that kind of stuff. So I was... <laughs> <laughs> so this album was a nice distraction from all that worry and concern. I mean, COVID, sure, not bad, but I lived through Y2K, let me tell yeah, you Yeah, well, I remember Y2K. Yeah, someone made a lot of money out of both of those. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so there's nothing left to lose. As I said, it was the third Foo Fighters record. It was released in November 1999. There were five singles off this album. Uh, it won the Grammy for the Best Rock Album, so the Foo's first Grammy Award. It also won a Grammy Award for the Learn to Fly video, which you guys were alluding to, which was kind mm. of like a flying high parody. Yeah, mm. a little bit, yeah. Which, um, which it's it funny, it's a pretty straight song. Lyrically and yeah. uh, even musically, but the the video was hilarious. Is it just me, or does he look like Alanis Morissette? The the you know the girl with the violin case and the two. Yeah, he looks exactly like Alanis Morissette. Which might which could be on purpose because Taylor Hawkins, the drummer who came on board just before this album, uh, was playing for Alanis Morissette. Oh, so. well, there you go. Yeah, and could that's be a the nod. disturbing thing in the clip is that Taylor Hawkins makes a very attractive woman. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Grohl doesn't. <laughs> I think he does. I think Taylor does. <laughs> <clears throat> so that that was the uh, that was the record. It was recorded at Grohl's home studio in Virginia. In fact, those first three records, it's really interesting because the first album, similarly called Foo Fighters, that was really Dave Grohl just playing every instrument. 
I think in a lot of ways, just getting all these songs out of his system that he'd been writing during Nirvana that weren't that were never going to be Nirvana songs. Mm. There were um, one or two B sides on singles that were his songs. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. There were one or two that that he wrote, and they were actually not bad songs. Okay. Um, I always thought uh, I I had the or well, have it somewhere still the Nirvana box set with all the singles and everything as well. Okay. And there were a couple of songs that he he wrote on the side, but I think Kurt Cobain was too. This is you know my band. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you reckon we'll ever do a Nirvana record, Gabor? Oh, we should. We yep. should. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably do it if I'm right. Yep, yep, yep. Maybe when Rob's out that weekend or something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll listen to it. <laughs> uh, stirring. Sorry, man. So, um, <laughs> no apologies necessary. No apologies. Is that a is that a song? Okay. That's a Nirvana song. So, um, first Foo Fighters records. It's the Dave Grohl record. So he has to get a band together and tour. So he does that. So here we have the, the third record. Um, Taylor Taylor Hawkins comes in, um, and Nate Mendel is uh, the bass player. He sticks around, but even at the start of this third record, he was talking about going back to his old band, but ended up sticking around. Grohl says it's one of his favourite Foo Fighters records. Once the personnel had kind of bedded in and settled into shape, it was just the three of them. They recorded the albums a three piece. So Grohl took on all the guitars. And there was the producer, Adam Casper, was there. And there wasn't a lot of record company in- interference as they were sort of hold out. Any tunes stick out? Start with you, Gabor. Uh, well, the singles, they're all, they're really catchy songs. Um, uh, the one sort of, uh, well, one that isn't a single that I, I really like is, is Stacked Actors, the, the first track. Um, yeah. I love the fuzz tone on that actually, because it's, it's not very Foo Fighters. No, it no, no. Yeah, that intro riff. It's a, it's a cool yeah. riff, and then just how it goes into a completely different verse, like almost yeah. loungy, jazzy verse. Sure. But then back to that, it kind of almost reminds me a little bit of the the, the tone of um, what are they called? Oh, I got my brain. Um, he played drums for them. Uh, um, Queens of Stone Age. Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, I'm yeah. just going to finish. Well, I'm in the room and I'm finishing all finishing my sen- sentences. That's <laughs> this is lovely, Bethel. Uh, this is lovely to see. It reminds me a little bit of that. Uh, actually, uh, wrote down the in a verse. The voice reminds me a little bit of Curtis Mayfield. Okay. The way he kind of super sings fly. it. The Superfly. Yeah, mm-hmm. Superfly Man. Um, yeah, and I just like how to. I, I love the sound of that riff, and it sounds very different to. Which is, I guess, the chorus riff, intro and chorus riff. Yeah, yeah. So it's very different to the tone, the rest of the tones on the album. Um, uh, I mean, Breakout is a great song. Learn to Fly, Film Clip is great. Um, uh, Generator, I wrote down, I like Talkbox. <laughs> and I always like that um, sort of chromatically ascending bit in the chorus where there's, yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. there's a couple of guitars and it goes... I think it goes, does it go from A to F to F sharp to G or something like that? It sort of goes up chromatically, and then um, I, I, I like that part. It sounds cool and kind of this sort of almost dissonant, a little bit of dissonance there too. There's that climbing fifth thing as well. So it goes from the A, then the sharp five, the augmented five, then the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The there's there's a couple of those things in there. Um, um, uh, ain't ain't it the life? Uh, very Beatlesque. Yeah. In, parts um the solo is really nice too um the production uh next year kind of it reminded me a little bit of of rem for some reason it has oh, yeah. it has an rem vibe jangly to it. yeah so the, the jangly rem thing 
Um, so data songs are sort of dead, the, the, the stick out songs um, that are kind of, yeah, that, that, that were kind of mine. Sure. Cool, man. How about you, Rob? Um, yeah, Give Me Stitches grabbed me, like that, that intro with the main riff. You know, it, mm. it just went, it's, it screamed Joe Walsh to me. Uh-huh. Like, as soon as I, yeah. I was like, that is that Joe Walsh thing, it's swampy, which is probably influenced by the Keith Richards kind of vibe, but sure, just that yeah. slide thing, that was really good. I, that was probably my favourite song on the album. Uh, and then Generator, because I'm a sucker for a talk box. Yeah, it's cool. And it was always yep. fun to play, but... Uh, early fun fact is that every time I've ever performed the Foo Fighters song in a cover band, mm-hmm. it tanks. It absolutely tanks every time. <laughs> it's, like, it's similar to the Rolling Stones. Like it's really hard to play a Rolling Stones cover and everyone's into it. They tend mm-hmm. to fall flat live. It's weird. It's just it fits them, but it doesn't really fit. But mm. um, everyone else. But yeah, I always enjoyed playing Generator, but it always flopped hardcore. <laughs> um, I remember trying and, to get Generator up in bands and it was just really hard to make it work, like to play it well or to yeah. really nail the vibe of it. Yeah, we did it as a trio um, and it worked, but it's like the for the listeners at home, it's the whole... Yeah. I've designed a little talk box setup um, that I've shared with a friend of mine, Luke Lucas, but it's just a cut-off piece of PVC pipe that you run along and taped to the microphone mm-hmm. so that you can quickly push it in and out between verses and choruses or when you're finished with it in a song, you just push it back into the piece of PVC pipe. Okay. And uh. it keeps it straight most of the time and in your mouth in the right way and it doesn't flop and fall out um, and it's just there on call all the time. And that's the only way you can do sing and play songs like Generator yeah. and Peter Frampton where there's a talk box bit in the middle of between you know, the verse and chorus or whatever. And, uh, yeah. Can can you, can you give us some mechanics about the talk box? Cause I know there's the tube. I know it does, does it need a separate amp? Yeah. So there's two different types and the original ones are like the, well, what now hail make, is that how you pronounce it? Hail. Um, and they're sort of like the original ones and there's a horn driver in the pedal and the tube plugs into that. So it's like a speaker yep. and it pushes the sound of the guitar out of the tube into your mouth, which you then manipulate with vowel sounds and it's picked up by your vocal mic or a second mic <coughs> if you have it set up. Because okay. so I've, got, I've got an MXR talk box. That's the same one I the, use. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, the weird thing is when you turn it on, it turns your, your amp is off. So the mm-hmm. sound isn't coming through your amp. The sound is going through your mouth into the speakers. Yeah. Okay. So on stage, it's a bit weird to hear it because it's right. kind of yeah, okay. your amp behind you is kind of quiet because <laughs> wow. it turns it off. Yeah, so even early on, I had a Rocktron Banshee. That was the first okay, one yeah, I yeah. ever, and it did the same thing. But after probably using it for a couple of weeks, I just got um, a two-in-one-out box, like a Y-splitter. Yeah. And so then my guitar signal splits off the first thing, goes to the talk box and then to the rest of my pedals. <clears throat> so then it never cuts off my guitar signal. So I've still got the okay. guitar running direct. Okay, yeah. And then the talk box blends and goes through the vocal side. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So that's the one where it's a pedal in line. And then the older style, which I was talking about before, you have to run speaker cables from your head 
to the talk box and then back to the speaker cabinet. Oh, okay. Because uh, they don't have an internal amplifier to drive yeah, the driver yeah. that's inside the thing. So what happens is, yeah, it gets switched off and takes the load into the speaker. Yeah. But what happens with those ones are they notoriously for going like blowing up your head and your speaker cabinet because okay. they go AC. <laughs> Yeah. So and you can get electrocuted, all kinds of things wow. when it goes, um, and then it's long cable runs of speaker cables. Yeah, like yeah. I don't want to run long speaker cables. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want it to run from the head to the cab. Does so. does does I think a Premier guitar um, rig rundown with Aerosmith mm. from quite a few years ago, like one of the early uh, rig rundowns, and they're talking about that exactly with. Uh, Joe Perry using a talk box in like one song. Yeah. And he's got an entire amp set up. Yeah. yeah. Just for that. Yeah. Like a, and a head, a whole completely separate head and everything. And I think the tech set, it keeps blowing up. It's such a massive pain. <laughs> but, I think yeah. Sam Bora is the same. Like he okay. runs the Ohio ones and yeah. he has a separate amp and then a separate mic stand with a, you know, because usually you would just have a separate mic stand and tape it to a 57. Yeah, you yeah. know, and then that's all you would use because the 57s, you could almost get the whole mic. Mind you, with a mouth the size of mine, I can get a 58 in there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, 57, it's more directional, yeah, you know, okay. and um, that's that's notoriously what's used. But, yeah, yeah like guys that I know recently have switched from the talk box. They were using them for years and have gone to, you know, using the one that's in the Axe effects with a sure. expression pedal. Peter Northcote's a notable one who's mm. made the switch to the Axe effects. And it's just not the same. And visually on stage, the amount of conversations, like the amount of times I've told that story that yeah. I just told to you how it works yeah, yeah. to people and they're like, oh, well, how does that thing work? And, yeah, no, no. and people watch me set it up and they watch me clean it before every gig with, you know, uh, and you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> but it's nothing replaces it. Nothing sounds the same. Yeah. And I've found my one very susceptible whenever I've put pedals in front of it. It doesn't like it. No. It ends up thin sounding and okay. I've wanted to put I've wanted to put delay on it. So I've run yeah. a delay pedal into it first to yeah, try well, and get the delay and it never works. That wouldn't that'd <laughs> be interesting. Good. That'd but, be very weird. Yeah. You know, but I've I've experimented a lot with them, but yeah, and then now I'm same as Gabor, I use an MXR one, which is just an inline pedal. Yeah. So okay, it's basically cool. got a little speaker in the almost like it's like a like a or oh, I should come closer to the microphone it's like a little speaker in a pedal with a hole in the top and you plug the, the pipe into it yeah the, a little d-class the, amp yeah. and and those ones are good because the old ones are all ac powered and like the, yeah. this one's a dc and can run off an 18 volt um out of your power brick yeah which okay. makes them really cool. yeah. really versatile too compared to the other ones on the market yeah, nice. I used to I used to use uh, for many many years in my my corporate and cover band days. I used to use the Digitech Talker, oh, yeah. but that's more, that's not so much a talk box. That's more uh, um, filter, like a yeah. It's what do you call them? Like on, on the keyboard, that's like a um, vocoder. Vocoder, yeah. that's the word. See, he's finishing the sentences again. <laughs> um, and there was that Dan Electro one. That oh was yeah, the first the little, inline one. That the, was the very first inline. The uh, uh, tie-dye looking one. Yeah, the yeah. free speech. Free, free speech. speech. Yeah. That's yeah. it. <laughs> That's the only one. Where is it? There's the hippie. The hippie series they were called. Mm-hmm. That's the only one I don't have. I have the other three hippie series down oh, yeah, like the, the pedal. The sitar, so. the swami sitar. The sitar, so, sitar swami I've got. Yeah, yeah. 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 The back talk, the reverse delay, and the, 
Psycho flange. <laughs> but but do you have the box? <laughs> I have the box for all three of them, yeah. Ooh, he, well, he has does. the box. The only thing I don't have, the sitar swami used to come with a ceramic slide. I don't have the ceramic slide. Have you got the kick guards, the, the knob, the kick guards? Oh, no, they were on the smaller plastic ones, They were on the smaller they? plastic yeah, yeah, ones, yeah. not on the big ones. They're great we're getting ones. completely sidetracked here. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's good quality, quality banter. It's all guitar related. Is, is it? Is it quality? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with some more Foo Fighters. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, a comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cup. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. Welcome back. We're talking about There Is Nothing Left To Lose. It's the 1999 record by the Foo Fighters. Now, for me, my favourite tunes, I, I really love the whole record. There's a couple of tunes I'll skip sometimes, um, especially Learning to Fly, which is probably the biggest hit off this record. Um, I don't know if it's just because I've heard it too many times yeah. or whatever. Stacked act- Actors, it's hard to say. Man, I dig that, but I don't play yeah. it every time. It is really removed from the rest of the record, I, I yeah. think. That riff, is the sixth string is tuned down to A, it's pretty low, oh, so okay. it's pretty pretty grunty. And could be a fun fact, Rob, I don't know, but this was a riff originally written by Grohl when he was he was approached to write some songs for Ozzy Osbourne or there was some sort of connection there that yeah. never happened. My, that's your fun fact right there, mate. It you is. It. Matt's fun fact. <laughs> With Matt. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Ozzy Osbourne ever ended up with any Dave Grohl riffs or any Dave Grohl songs. I mean, I really dig the rest of the record. For me, it's a really strong album. Very melodic. We were talking about STP recently. Yeah, I dig all the the melodic content. Not a lot of guitar in the sense of solos. There's a solo, like, stacked actors, like I said. Um, Ain't It The Life, there's a country-ish kind of solo on there. Yeah, Yeah, it's a a cool little solo, though. I like it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, the rest of the time it's more about the riffs, I think, or the, or the little parts. So a generator's got the cool talk box melody. Aurora, the, the analog delay riff in that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, that's that. a really dark analog delay. Yeah, the, in, in the, the riff throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, through the whole tune and eventually it didn't he have? Out. Didn't he have at one stage a guitar with a Boss DM2 attached to it? I think he played one with a Boss DM2. Really? Attack, like I, uh, I think I, re- I uh, when I when when I first when you first brought up that you were going to do this album and I, I yeah. this is like a I don't know a week ago or something like that yeah. I watched a couple of Foo Fighter clips wow and someone was talking about him is it an art what are they what are they called the um uh, they're not the uh, um what were they called that type it's like a um it's like a pointy set somewhat pointy one but not the you're talking about a guitar the gibson the guitar yeah the type of guitar gibson um rd rd is it yeah. the rd and he had he played one of those which is kind of like a sort of firebirdy looking one but a little yeah. bit different yeah yep uh, and they were talking about how he had a 
Boss DM2, like the, the pink kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. analog delay attached to the guitar. Wow. I wonder if that was if that was what he used. I wonder. I don't know. I Actually, you've just reminded me of something. When we're talking about the big day out, year 2000, there was an Australian band out, Spiderbait, and the guitarist... Oh, they had a big muff or something attached, didn't it? Yeah, something stuck on his guitar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't dig them so much, but the crowd loved them. So uh, there you go. I prefer go. Matt Bellamy with a chaos pad. Yeah, that's that's next level, <laughs> and and a, and a uh, Zvex Fuzz Factory in the guitar, yeah. in the guitar, Fuzz Factory, yeah, yeah. yeah mucking around there, man. Next year's got some Mellotron. Mellotron seems to be the official iconic albums vintage keyboard that we talk about. Yeah, every few it's episodes. cool, Mellotron. It's super. Well, cool. Well, because Grohl is a big Beatles fan too, He's like self-professed <laughs> yeah. huge Ringo fan. So I'm guess yeah. all that sort of stuff rubbed off. Well, that's even uh, it, that's because you know, ain't it the life? Um, I think even the drums sound somewhat Ringo-esque in that. Um, yeah, yeah, I reckon it has um, a kind of yeah, and that minor four chord in a major key, that kind of stuff. There's a bit of that going on, absolutely. Um, I really dig the bass player Nate Mendel. Talking about the Beatles, he has listened to some McCartney, I reckon, for sure. He's super melodic in his lines. Uh, generally, I thought the bass the the bass sounded really good on that album, like all up. It's uh, 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 That's one of the things I actually found with this album that um, when you listen, and I was listening to it again here through the, like my studio monitors and stuff like that, the, yeah. you can really hear the different instruments and the different speakers yeah, and right. the layering and how they kind of all work together. And the bass, it just had the sound of it. It was, it just, I actually made a note of it saying the bass sounded really good throughout the album. Yeah. Uh, which you don't say that often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't always talk about the bass. I mean, Flea, no. Flea got a good run. Flea, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think he plays with a pick, plays a P bass with a pick. Okay. Yeah, I think he's a pick player too, yeah. Yeah. And he picks close to the neck. It looks really awkward, but he sounds awesome. Okay, sounds cool. Hey, gear. Let's let's keep talking about gear then. I've just I'm just opening up a guitar player magazine interview with Dave Grohl from '99. Actually, it says the interview was completed in Australia over the phone, so it might have been 2000 by then. He might have been hmm. here for the big day out. But so in terms of guitars, he was using his. Gibson RD heaps live at this stage. He doesn't use it so much now, but um, didn't use it so much for the record. So his main guitars were a Gibson Trini Lopez. Yeah, that's the that's his one he's famous. Yeah, he got into that, yeah. 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 Well, now his his own signature model is is really got some nice nods to that guitar. So it's got the the sort of narrow parallelogram instead of the F holes. They're quite distinctive. Yeah. Um, Fibre headstock. Yeah, yeah, the six on the side headstock. That looks cool. Um, I think his signature model is Pelham Blue. Is that? Yeah. Is that what they call that color? Great. It's a good color, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. So, obviously, 335 we're talking about here. But yeah, the Trini Lopez. So, that got a run. He was playing a Telecaster as well for a lot of this record, which sounds cool. Now, amps, he is using. In fact, before the amps, a big deal for this record, he didn't want to use pedals very much at all. And he definitely didn't want to use distortion pedals for much of the the gruntiness. And I really dig Ooh. the guitar tones. <laughs> so what did he use? Um, Mesa so, Boogie? Yeah, that's what I thought too. He was touring heaps with a boogie, definitely when yeah. I saw them. Um, but for the record, there's a Vox AC30. Where's the quote? 
Yeah, it seems so, to be an amp that so many people use in the studio. Yeah, That's, yeah. it's hard to go wrong. Um, yeah. So GP says, asks, is there any trick to recording good natural guitar sounds? And he says, the best way to get a natural guitar sound for me is to eliminate all pedals and find an amp that has a lot of range. With an AC30, for example, you can go get clean, dirty, bright, or fat. It's just the amplifier and the guitar, the most basic combination. I know the Trini Lopez and the Vox is going to have one sound, and the Telecaster and the Twin Reverb is going to have another. Getting basic guitar sounds should be that easy. Uh, Marking the amps, I just used a 57. Um, the producer, who was Adam Kaspar, I think between him and Grohl, they, they just wanted to get quick sounds. They didn't want to spend ages doing it, so they'd throw up a mic. So there's a lot of care in the tones, but the actual getting it on tape, they, they did that fairly quickly. So often you're hearing, yeah, Vox in one side, something cleaner, usually the Twin on another side. And there was, you'll like this, Gabor, there was an old Proco Rat, which he'd sometimes use for doubling stuff and then hard pan. Oh, yeah. Hard pan stuff. Rats are good, like the rat. Yeah, man. Then we'd, I quote again, then we'd sprinkle in lots of clean guitar overdubs as well. So I guess that idea, again, we'll, we talked about that on the STP. Um, yeah, there's cleaner amps with the, with the gruntier stuff. Yeah. So that is. That is pretty much not much gear. gear then. Not much gear. There's some acoustic as well, um, and there are some pedals. So there is some modulation going on. Um, there's some well, really the delay, s- that delay, that analog delay in the in what was it Aurora? Aurora, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, that's a memory man. Ah, uh, oh, so it's not the DM2 stuck to the guitar. Okay. Uh that that's what he says in the interview. But who knows? Okay. Maybe, maybe they. <laughs> Maybe add the RD on the floor you know, on the pedal board or something. I don't know. <laughs> the neck broke being a Gibson. They just turned it into a pedal board. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's room for a few pedals on those things. Um, mm. There's a phaser on on breakout on the start. He says in his interview that's the memory man, but I think he's I think that's a misquote or or whatever. Um, because it's obviously not doing the phase thing. A little bit of ear candy on the record for an, for an album that's kind of avoiding pedals in 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 one sense. There's some uh, just some interesting things, and of course the talk box is a really cool texture. I'm just just for for the people that that have the special glasses. I was just showing a picture of the of Dave Grohl with the the Sunburst Gibson RD with the with the uh, Boss oh, pedals. Oh, there it is. It. Yeah, yeah, man, that's cool. And it looks that era, the short hair and everything. That looks like it's from that era. That's around then, yeah. Yeah, yeah Monkey Wrench. That was a cool video too. Yeah. Um, that was the short hair video. Um, Rob, do you have any fun facts? I do. Um, starting with Learn to Fly, the video was directed by uh, Jesse Peretz, who was the original bass player in the Lemonheads. Oh. Um, he also directed videos uh, Big Me and Low. Cool. Uh, Live in Skin. Foo Fighters were mixing There Is Nothing Left to Lose when Dave Grohl suddenly came up with the song. He recalls that um, we were already finished recording and a couple of days off before mixing and it came up with this riff. I just thought, ah, effort, let's record this. So we recorded in a day and a half while we were mixing the rest of the album. Wow, <laughs> that's cool. That's a great riff, man. And next year, so next year was the theme song to the NBC TV show Ed, which I used to absolutely love. Oh, Ed. Um, I just saw that actor in something else recently and I was thinking of Ed. Well, yeah, like recently he's been in The Flash. 
Okay. Um, he's uh, the professor in The Flash. He's cool. Who's that? What's his name? Uh, I don't know. No. I loved Ed as well. I think. Yeah. And was I that a Letterman Ed. connection? I don't know. Julie Bowen. I remember seeing Julie Bowen for the very first time in Happy Gilmore. It was co-produced and, by David Letterman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Worldwide Pants. Worldwide Pants. Worldwide yeah. Pants. Tom Cavanagh. So Tom Cavanagh. That's it. Tom Cavanagh. Yeah. And um, yeah, so Julie Bowen starred in that. Okay. And that totally like. Side note, but made me just dislike her, that character. She just <laughs> kept breaking Ed's heart over and over again. And it just reminded me of my own teenage years. Oh, Rob. Early 20s. And I just See, thought. I could, I could give you a hug now if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the same room together. Well, I'm really truly over it now, but, you know, I had my heart broken a few times. Oh, man. Um, but, yeah, so I really struggled to like Julie Bond. I have to. Go back and watch Happy Gilmore and remind myself of how nice she was. Okay. Is she but, is she the love interest in Happy Gilmore? Yeah, that's right. Okay, okay, know who yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Um, Dave once Dave was offered the gig in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers after filling in for them during a Saturday Night Live appearance. Wow. Oh wow. Um, but he turned it down because he was already sort of he had his plan for the Foo Fighters and he oh, stuck wow. with it. So Steve Ferroni ended up getting the job. Yeah. Right. Um, and Dave Grohl once contributed a single snare drum beat to a Michael Jackson song. What? So the posthumous Michael Jackson album, Michael, lists Dave Grohl as a guest on a track called I Can't Make It Another Day alongside Lenny Kravitz. However, Dave maintains that only one solitary stare, snare hit from a lengthy drum track he taped with producer Butch Vig actually made it on the track. He goes, I don't know who's playing drums on it, he said, but it ain't me. But there's one snare hit that is him. Wow. Um, and my own fun fact is my favourite drum song of all time was Thin Lizzy's Chinatown, right? Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. One of, it's my favourite sort of drum. Yeah, it's cool. Drums in a song tune. Uh the only thing that equaled it and maybe surpassed it was Dave Grohl in No One Knows, The Queens of the Stone Age. And it's a very similar oh, yeah. kind of yeah. drum performance. But, yeah, uh, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. That's cool. I do, I do love um, Dave's drumming. It, it's great. You know, I think. Um, and his, his passion for talking about music and all things music related. Yeah. And if anyone's seen that YouTube clip of why Ringo Starr is, you know, oh, great. Oh, he's the greatest drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, man, Dave in that, it's just you can't help but love him when he uh -huh. talks about Ringo, he talks about anything. And, and I've loved when he sat in hosting the Letterman show years ago and I think recently sat in and hosted for Jimmy Fallon. And, yeah, okay. Um, he's, yeah. he's just great. It's, um, you know, I really want to like him. I really want to like the Foo Fighters, but, yeah, it's just... And I do like him. I just, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I don't like the providers. It's all that's good, a, man. It's okay. It's okay. Mm. So I think that sort of sums up everything um, that I came up for. And I'll be seeing you next week. <laughs> oh, we've got an outro tune as well. <laughs> outro tune. Wow. Oh, this is Ed. getting more and more complicated. Man, good fun facts. Thanks, Rob. No worries. Yeah, it's, you got to go digging, you know, sometimes. When when you're not digging, though, for fun facts, what are you doing, Rob, and how can the people at home check out your stuff? <laughs> Good segue. 
Thank you. <laughs> wow. I am singing and guitaring on lots of 70s classic songs with a band called Living in the 70s. Mm. And, uh, yeah, we're well and truly back out there gigging. Um, hopefully nothing's happened since we've recorded this and I'm not. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> Just jinxed myself. Uh-oh. Um, so, yeah, Living in the 70s live on Facebook is the best way to keep up to date with everything. Rob is the hardest working man in showbiz. So, uh, yeah, check out those links. Gabor, when you're not trying to pin down that final uh, Dan Electro pedal or DOD pedal missing from your collection, what are you doing, man? <laughs> uh, I watch a lot of TV and uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Currently binge watching. Show links, show links. Check the show links out for Gabor um, watching TV. No, well, I, I, uh, uh, I have this little YouTube channel called The Super Fun Awesome Happy Time Pedal Show where myself and my good friend Alex, Alex Rotier, we're doing, uh, we're reviewing guitar gear. So mostly pedals, but guitars and amps and the occasional synthesized uh, thing as well. Very cool. Yeah. Nice. It is a cool show. Check out the, the links oh, for as well. Fellas, thanks for joining me. It's been another really fun night talking albums and stuff. Um, we'll see you next week. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. I've got to kick Rob out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for joining us for another Guitar Speak podcast, Iconic Albums. I've really enjoyed putting these conversations together with Rob and Gabor, and it's been a really cool addition to our podcast show, which uh, every week has deep dive one-on-one interviews as well. That's been our bread and butter for the last five years, and that will be continuing as well. Thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring today's episode. Check out the links in the show notes. All right, my name is Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And in the words of Michael Schenker, German guitarist from UFO, The Scorpions and MSG. Keep rocking. Keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.